0: I have a love-hate relationship with rest stops. <laughs> Who knows what I'm talking about? You know, you're making good progress, and you come up to a rest stop. You have to make a decision, right? Because you know you got to stop, but you don't want to stop, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? And then it says, like, 33 miles to the next rest stop or whatever. And it's like, can I go 33 miles? Should I go 33 miles? I'm making progress here. A love-hate relationship with these things. There are 9 rest stops between where we are right now and where my mom lives in Clare, Michigan. 9 of them. I know them all by heart. I know where they are, I know what they look like, and I always argue with myself about whether I'm going to stop or not because I'm making progress. I notice that even when I'm going someplace that I, I don't want to be, I, I don't want to stop at the rest stop because I'm making progress towards someplace I don't want to be. There's something just about stopping, isn't there, guys? You know what I'm talking about? It's like getting gas is the same thing, isn't it? How many of you like me I got an eighth of a tank. I what? I know I can make it to the next exit. Do you, who knows what I'm talking about? Anybody? Rest stops. Stop or not. Trouble with rest stops, I mean, you know you got to. You know you're going to be rejuvenated if you stop. So we've been talking about the journey with God, and uh, we've been talking about how following Jesus as our Lord is it's not an event, it's a journey, isn't it? And we've been looking at Bible passages that characterize how the journey goes. And we started with Abraham and saw that the journey begins in obscurity and moves toward Identity that we're nobody, and then we become children of God. Last week, we're looking at Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt and how the journey goes from bondage to freedom. Well, today we're going to look at Elijah and notice how part of this journey is going from stress to rest. That an integral part of being on this journey with the Lord is to stop at the rest stops. But I'm making progress! That part of part of the journey is to stop and rest and receive from the Lord so that we can continue on the journey. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. First Kings in your Old Testament chapter 19 is is an incredible example of how the journey moves from stress to rest. The context of this particular passage is that Ahab is the king, the new king of Israel. He's the seventh king of Israel. He reigned for 22 years, beginning in 874 B.C. Ahab was married to the lovely Queen Jezebel, and uh, they together committed more unfaithfulness to God than any of the kings before them. Their, their reign is characterized in context here in 1 Kings chapter 16, beginning in verse 30. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, catch this, did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. That's that's the context. Jezebel was a very gregarious idol worshiper. Her favorites were Baal and Asherah. She had 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah in her charge. And this was what was leading the house of Israel at the time. Enter into this uh, picture the prophet Elijah. Elijah, what a guy, what a, what a warrior, what a man, what a prophet of God who lived in a kind of instant obedience to the word of God. Whatever the cost, he obeyed God. He's an incredible prophet. He was a fascinating and powerful man. And uh, he was also openly critical to the king and queen because of their flagrant disobedience to God. He didn't hold anything back. He was openly critical of their reign. During this time that we're about to consider in 1 Kings 19, there was a terrible famine going on in the land, and uh, it was brought on by Elijah, who prayed for it to happen. He prayed for this famine to come, as a demonstration of the judgment of, of God against the house of Ahab. And so for three years, it didn't rain. I don't know if we really have a way of getting a hold of what this, what this really means, because if we have a drought in Ohio, we just get our stuff from Minnesota, right? It's not a big deal. If we have a, but this was a different day, and it was a widespread drought. If it doesn't rain, they don't have food. And so it was a terrible time, it was a critical time, and this is really where we find our passage today. Uh, Elijah is being fed by God, by ravens. God appoints birds to bring him food. He leads him to a brook where he can always have water, because God always takes care of his faithful. Did you hear that? God always takes care of his faithful, and that includes you. The Bible says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. You can have confidence in that. God always takes care of his faithful. And so God is taking care of Elijah. He happens upon a widow who is caught up in this famine. Maybe you know about this. Have you read any of this 1 Kings thing? Anybody? So there's this widow with this son, right? And she's running out of food. She's out gathering sticks to make the fire for the last food. And Elijah comes along and says, make me something to eat. And she goes, oh man of God, I can't make you something to eat. All I got is enough left for my son and I. We're going to eat it and then we're going to die. And he said, I'll tell you what, if you're faithful to this word, you'll have all the food that you need. And so she's faithful, she's instantly obedient, doesn't make sense, defies logic. Hello, does this sound like your life? And you're just instantly obedient to the word of God against logic? And she makes it for him, and then she goes back, and the empty bin has flour in it, and the empty bottle has oil in it, and every time she goes back, it's not empty. Because God takes care of the faithful. this is his life. And so then there comes a showdown with Elijah and the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah on Mount Carmel. Do you know about this? And Elijah says, fine, you know, you all want to follow Ahab and Jezebel and their idols. Let's see who who the real God is. Calls them to this mountain, and he says, let's make two altars. You guys go ahead and make your altar to Baal. I'll make my altar over here to the living God. And he said, uh, let's see whose God shows up and consumes the altar. And so the prophets of Baal are over there. They're, they're making their altar out of all this flammable, burnable stuff. And they got, like, Kleenex and everything in there. And, and they're just waiting for this thing to go. And uh, they're lighting it in a drought, and they can't get it to light. They can't get the offering to be consumed. And so Elijah's over here going, Is there trouble, boys? And I love the way this reads. He goes, You know, maybe your God is busy. Maybe you need to shout louder. Maybe he's sleeping. Don't you just love when it's okay to be sarcastic? He says, Maybe your God is traveling. (laughs) It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. You guys don't. Well, they wore themselves out trying to get this thing to happen. And, and Elijah says, let me just take a turn here. He builds this altar, and it's just a normal sacrificial altar, you know? He builds it, he puts the offering, puts the wood on it, stuff like that. And he said, oh, but before I light it, let's just make this interesting. Somebody bring me some water, and they poured water over the top of it. And then he said, oh, do that again. And they did that again. he said, do that again, and do that again. And so you have a completely saturated altar. God, Elijah steps back. He calls on the name of the living God. Fire falls from heaven and consumes the altar and the Bible says it was so hot that it even I love this word licked up the water that was in the trench around it. And so Elijah just went ahead and had those false prophets executed. So where we pick up 1 Kings 19 here, our passage for today, that is the context. And the story is that now, as you look at the very first verse there, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets. So Ahab went and told Jezebel. Was she happy about this? She was not... So, so, Jezebel sent a message, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. That's an easy thing to say, because there weren't anybody. There, wasn't, there were no gods. Nobody's showing up. If by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them, in other words, Elijah, you're dead. So Elijah takes off. It says he was afraid. The armies of Israel were at her disposal, of course. So he takes off, and he runs. And he runs out into a tree, uh, out into the desert, and finally he leaves his servant and runs farther, puts himself under a tree, he plops down, and he says, I quit. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I have all the armies of Israel looking for me now to kill me. I'm done. Then he falls asleep. And he wakes up. And an angel of the Lord feeds him really good food. I don't know what those ravens, I don't know what a raven has to bring to you, you know. But there was this cake and water. And he wakes up, and he eats, and he's refreshed. And then he runs. He takes off from there at the direction of God. And he, he took off, and he, he ran another 40 days to a place where the Lord had prepared to meet with him he refreshed him, and in that cave area, Mount Oreb, and he was hiding in this cave, and he was was told that the the Lord was about to pass by. And so he went out to the mouth of the cave, and uh, what he saw was a great and powerful wind come ripping through, and he goes, here comes God. But God, it says, wasn't in the wind. And then after that, the wind, there was an earthquake. Well, this has got to be God. The earth is splitting open. But he wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. A forest fire rages. This has got to be God. But he said it was, God wasn't in the fire. This is just stuff. And then it says, After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper came a gentle whisper in verse 12. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And God had his moment with Elijah. He wasn't in the big thunder. He wasn't in the big scenery. He was in the still, small voice of the Lord, the whisper of God. And that's exactly what Elijah needed to hear. He needed to hear the voice of the Lord in order to be refreshed and return to a very powerful, powerful ministry, return to the power of the journey. So what is the point that we walk away with? Well, I think many points, many points, but I think it's worth saying as one of the points, notice that I want to say again that it's the church's job... To speak out against sin. It is the church's job. To speak out against sin. Now I have no judgment against any particular sinner. Neither do I hold myself in judgment. As a sinner. I know I'm saved by grace as you are. But it is still our role as the church. To to speak out against sin. You know Elijah spoke out against sin. And I think what we can learn from this is that in speaking out against sin, there was a cost attached to that. There was a cost. He he ran for his life because he spoke out against sin. And, beloved, as a church, when we speak out against sin, there's a cost attached to that. As a church, and there's a cost to you individually. When you take a stand... For righteousness, for the righteousness of God in your own life, there will be a cost. When you take a stand in public for the righteousness of God, there will be a cost. There there will be a cost. There will be a price to pay for that. And some, some are not willing to pay it. Some churches are not willing to pay it. Because what's happening in America is that The goal of the church is to get a lot of people, get a lot of people into the seats. What we need is a bigger sanctuary. What we need are more services, and then we'll know we're doing well. We'll know that if we can double our attendance, well, we'll be twice as effective for the gospel, and nothing could be further from the truth, could it? because of the compromises that often have to be made in declaring the truth in order to keep people coming. It is the church's job to speak out against sin, and when the church fails to speak against sin, then it's not the church, it's something else. I think one of the best examples of this in our culture today happens every Sunday somewhere in Texas. And it's Joel Osteen's gathering that he errantly calls a church. It's 18,000 people who come into this stadium and listen to him say, you're getting younger, you're getting more attractive, you're more prosperous. That's not true. Those th- that's a lie. You're not getting younger. You're older now than when you got up this morning. And it doesn't matter what you say. You can look in the mirror and say, I'm getting younger. And you're older when you're done saying that as the one you started saying that. It doesn't change anything. It's not true. It's not true. And the litmus test is not, can I gather 18,000 people? The litmus test is our people's lives being transformed to the lordship of Jesus Christ in their lives. That's the litmus test. Make no mistake about that. Joel Osteen refuses to acknowledge the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He refuses to answer this question, is Jesus Christ the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him? He refuses to answer that question. And in refusing to answer that question, they are not a church. They are a gathering of 18,000 people who are having a self worship club. Now, why am I all worked up about Joel Osteen, of all people? Listen, you know I love the church, capital C. You know that I don't think this is the only appropriate expression of church. I'm surprised we're allowed to be called the church, to be honest with you, here at the vineyard. I'm just surprised. I'm grateful that we're a part of the body of Christ. We may be a zit on the body of Christ. I don't know. But I'm glad we're on the body of Christ somewhere. I do not... But when a church stops preaching the gospel, the exclusive gospel of life in Jesus Christ. It's not a church. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Because people gather around the rallying message saying, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven after this because I'm, I'm saying I'm going to heaven after this. Do you see the danger? Be careful the books you read. Be careful the books you read. Be careful the messages you allow yourself to listen to because it's clever. It's clever. And I think this is one of the things you have to take away from this is that it's always going to be the church's job to speak the truth. But I think the other message that has to do with this series, the other point, is that the journey continues. The journey continues. And one of the elements of the journey, obscurity to identity, bondage to freedom, also from stress to rest, that rest is part of God's plan for us in order to propel us along the journey, that, guys, we have to stop. We have to pull over. We have to get with God in order to keep going. If you look at this passage, I want you to notice that there's a rest that only God can protect. If you look in First Kings 19, that, uh, that God makes the safe place for us to stop. Verse 4, while Elijah himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. God makes a safe place for you to go where you can say what you need to say. Some of you need to get into that place and say what you need to say so that you can hear what you need to hear. Did you hear me? This might not, all be, this might not be all of your, I'm done, I mean, maybe you're not ready to quit, but there's something inside of you that I want to encourage you to get with God and the safety of the place that he creates. Say what you need to say so that you can hear what you need to hear. And God creates that place. I mean, Elijah couldn't stop until he felt he was safe. And God makes that place of safety for you to do that. But also notice in this passage that there's a food that only God can provide. In verse 6, as you read on, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around There by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water and he ate and drank and then lay down again. Beloved, there's a food that God has for us that only he can give us. You find it in the place. There's something that he can say to you that's food to your soul. There's an experience that you can have an encounter with God that you can have if if you take these rest stops That only God can give you. You can't get it anywhere else. You can't get it from a preacher. You can't get it from a book. You just get it from God. You yourself. In company with God. Many of you know what I'm talking about. You know, Jesus said, he said uh, to his disciples, I have food that you guys know nothing about. And they're like, what is he saying (laughs) now? Because he had, because Jesus, wouldn't he often just withdraw and be with the Father? Yes or no? Yeah. He'd do all this power stuff, and then he'd withdraw, he'd take the rest stop. He'd go in, and he'd be refreshed, because God has food for you in these places. But I also want you to notice that there's a place that only God can prepare for you. In verses 8 and 9, it says, So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Orb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And that's where he had his encounter with God. That there's a, there's a place. There's a place somewhere in the world where you can encounter God. It's a place. Now, geographically, we probably all have different places. I know where I have to go to encounter God. I've got four or five different places that I go that I know it's a safe place. I can say what I need to say so that I can hear what I need to hear. Karen sometimes asks me, because I'm thinking about building another place, I'm always thinking about building another place and to go, and and she sometimes asks me, how many places is it that you actually need, Tom? Because, <laughs> you know, I got, a, I got a place in my house, and I got a place down by my creek, and I got a place I built in my barn, and I, I, I got the hiding place here and uh, I got some more places and so she'll say how many places is it that you need and I just say, well what's the highest number I can have (laughs) you know is there a limit because as long as I can dream up putting up some wood or something that's a good place but you need you need a place you need a place where you can go and you can hear God there's a place, because it's a critical part of the journey that we take these rest stops and get refreshed. It's actually part of the journey. It's not stopping from the journey. It's part of the plan of the journey is to take the rest stop. Isaiah 26.3, I love the way it says it in the King James, it says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee, O Lord. That God will keep you in perfect peace. You'll go from stress to rest when you can get in that space where you can put your mind on God and keep it on God. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, don't worry about anything. <laughs> say, Thanks a lot, huh? It says, don't worry about anything. It said, instead, pray about everything but thanksgiving. And it says, in the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. This is this is what we're talking about. Part of the journey. An essential part of the journey is taking the rest stops and getting alone with the Lord. And it's against your nature. Because you want to just keep producing, don't you? You want to just keep driving, don't you? You want to just keep making progress. And so the question becomes, you know, why can't we just keep pushing forward? Why can't we just keep on pushing forward? I mean, we're smart people, we're intelligent people, we're creative people. Why can't we just suck it up and keep going? Yes? I have three answers for you. Want to know what they are? Say yes, or I'll start the whole message again. Okay. Well, first, we can't keep pushing forward because this exceeds the limits of our design. You know, every designer knows what the limits of the thing they've designed is, yes? Yes? And I don't know, has anybody got the Genesis 1 yet? That's how far you have to go to see that there's a limit to our design. And the limit is what? That on the seventh day, God did what? He rested. And, and we were created in the image of God. So the limits of our design is that we are built into us is the essential need for the work-rest rhythm. we got to stop. Or we're exceeding the limits of our design, there's a rhythmic nature to our lives. Second, because it ultimately short-circuits our relationship with God. It's a relationship with God you want, yes? You're not going to get it by driving, 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 driving. You've got to take the rest stops. You've got to pull in. You've got to center down. You've got to get still before the Lord. Jesus said, come to me all you who are what? Weary, and I'll give you what? 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 Not another job to do? Not a pat on the back? Not a suck it up, man. If you were a real disciple, you'd keep going. And that's the American way, isn't it? Suck it up, man. Make me another widget. That's not the Jesus way. He said, come to me. Come on, he said. All you who are weary and burdened, those of you who need a rest stop, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you the rest that you need. Said it again. Said it again. He said it again. He modeled it. He withdrew. I think some people resist finding their rest in God because it's actually God they're trying to avoid. Listen, I think that some people resist taking the rest stop and getting still with God because it's actually God they're trying to avoid they're afraid he might show up. And if I keep myself busy enough, if I keep myself rolling hard enough, if I keep myself working hard enough in the church, maybe I can get through this thing without actually encountering God. So if I encounter God, that might change everything. That'll, that may, no, that will mess everything up. Everything flips over when we encounter God. But I think also, we can't just keep on driving because you end up not doing anything of eternal significance. You can get all kinds of stuff done if you keep at it, right? But what are you getting done that's going to last? The Bible says that after we die, get welcomed into heaven by Jesus and his blood. Not long after that, there's going to be a fire. That doesn't sound nice, does it? Warm my hands by? What do you mean fire? First Corinthians says that there's going to be a fire we actually have to pass through. He says you'll be saved because you don't even get to the fire without Jesus. You're saved by Jesus Christ. You're not saved by anything you do. You're saved by your authentic trust in Jesus Christ. But something's going to happen, the Bible says. There'll be a fire. And that whatever we've built while in this life, if we built out of wood, hay, stubble, straw, it's just going to burn. You don't need it in heaven anyway. It's everything you did at work, probably, right? (laughs) It's all the widgets you made. It's all going to burn off. But it says... That we also have opportunity in our life to build with costly stones, with stuff of eternal significance, and that's going to go through the fire, and that's what we're going to have on the other side. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says it like this. It says, Now we know the earthly tent we live when the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, verse 1, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So that's the good news, right? And then it goes through, it talks for a few verses about going to heaven when we die. And then in verse 10, it says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that our entrance into heaven is going to be determined by what we've done. What we've done is covered by the blood of Jesus. That's what gets us into heaven. Clearly, that is the message of the Bible. But it does say that there will be a judgment, that there will be a reckoning, and that somehow that there will be a difference among us in heaven according to the things that we've done. And so that we have opportunity in this life to do things that have eternal significance. Leading someone to Christ, giving a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, There are thousands and thousands of things that we can do as expressions of the things the gospel says have eternal significance. And if we just keep pushing, 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 pushing and not take the rest stops, we're not going to know what those things are. And we might be able to do really good at the stuff at work or our business or whatever, and we might be getting getting more prosperous and bigger barns and fill them up and shinier cars. We might get all of that stuff done. But at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the year, at the end of the life, it doesn't matter. It's confirmation right there. I'd check that text if I were you, I'm just saying. Probably Joel with a rebuttal. <laughs> are you hearing what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, we, we've got 168 hours every week. I realize we've got to get earthly stuff done. I realize there are bills to be paid. I realize there's people to see. I realize there's stuff to do that's just for here. I get that. But there's also opportunity. To do that which is eternal that which has eternal significance and if we don't take the rest stops we're going to miss that we're just going to miss that you got to pull off you got to pull off to the place where you can meet with God it's part of the journey it's not an interruption of the journey it's part of it do you know this place Where is that place? It's Hocking Hills, right? Anybody know the specific spot? Yeah? Oh, close, close. It's called Ash Cave. How many of you have been there? Isn't that a peaceful place? Isn't that just a great part of our state? Isn't that a place where you could go and you could just center down and say, Lord, I'm not at work? Lord, I'm not solving the world's problems. Lord, I just want to get quiet before you. That could be your place. Maybe you already have a place. That's all good. But that could be your place, right? You could meet God there, maybe. You know, that's only 57 miles from where you're sitting. That's only 57 miles away. You could be there. You could be there in an hour. You could be there. You could be there today and say, Lord, uh, could this be our place? Or you could be somewhere, right? The thing is, that's only 57 miles away. But for many of you, it may as well be 5,700 miles away because you're not going there. You're not going to do this. You're going to keep driving. You're going to keep pushing. You're going to keep trying to find value in your productivity rather than allowing your value finding God to determine your productivity. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, the prophet said, on God's behalf, he said, he said, in quietness and rest is your salvation. But then it goes on, a little talk about that, and he says, but you would have none of it. You wouldn't do this. You wouldn't take the rest out. You know, I think it's an amazing reality that God is calling us to this, don't you? That, wait, is this Bible really indicating that the God of the universe Has a space right here next to him, and all I have to do is go to the place, center myself down, and I can begin to experience that. That's what my Bible says. That's what my walk has taught me. That's what many of yours has. And I'm just saying, some of you are working so hard. God bless you. Some of you are working so hard for your families. Some of you are working so hard in ministry as God leads you to do stuff. Some of you are working so hard in this church and we're so grateful for every one of you. But just remember, the rest stops are part of the journey. And so the question really is, are you hungry enough to stop and eat? How many of you like me have got, I got so much to do, I'm just gonna work through lunch. Anybody ever done that? I know. But eventually, right? Right? You gotta go. I can't keep doing this, right? I gotta stop. Are you hungry enough to eat? You know, Father, I, I just thank you for this church. I thank you for the the productive output of this place. Lord, I thank you for the lives that have been touched. I thank you for the extension into missions around the world. I thank you for the homeless who get food every week. I thank you, Father, for the lives of men that were changed yesterday at the conference. I just thank you for the output. But God, I I just pray now for the input now. I pray for your input into every life. I pray that the power of the Lord would be here now to hear our... Hear our need and show us show us where these places are for each one of us. Maybe they're right there. Maybe they're in the basement. Maybe they're not fifty-seven miles away. Maybe they're maybe they're walking around this wall on this property. Who knows, Lord? But I know. I trust you to lead every seeking heart to that place of meeting, where you could meet them, where you could refresh them, where you could give them food only you can give where you could give them safety to say what they need to say so that they can hear what they need to hear. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this time of worship and response and setting a table for us. And we invite you to come now and cause us to give you a response from our hearts that brings you the most glory. You know, as always I just want to encourage you to respond to the Lord as he moves you. I don't think we're gonna we're gonna establish ministry this morning because I think it's a morning of rest. So I just encourage you just to respond as the Lord moves your heart.